Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Maybe this is you. You show up at church every weekend. You see people you know. You listen to a sermon together. And then you go home feeling just as isolated as you did before. What's the deal? Well, we've got some help for you, if that's you. And I don't know about you. I feel that way sometimes. Ben Connolly is author of A Field Guide for Genuine Community, 25 Days and 101 Ways to Move from Facade to Family. Ben is a pastor, author, equipper, and occasional professor. He's honored to serve everyday disciples like you and me, also ministry leaders and church planters across the world through the Equipping Group and to help lead Salt and Light Community and plant Fort Worth in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, Ben, coming out of COVID, people realize there's a need for something different and deeper. What have we learned about the need for community as we ramp down from this pandemic? Yeah, Perry, I think that's a that's a fantastic question that everyone is wrestling with, whether they admit they're wrestling with it or not. What was really interesting, even in writing a, a book on community, I largely did it during a year of isolation. <laughs> and at first found that to be really ironic in a sense, but then actually came to very much appreciate it because what I saw in my own life and in talking with folks in our own local church here in Fort Worth, Texas, and also what I think was echoed both in Christian communities and in non-believing aspects of society around the world was this actually admission, this willingness to admit that we don't have it all together and that we can't do it alone. And, and theologically, we know that, but kind of both within our own, you know, our own hearts that, that say, hey, protect number one. And we all love to be the, the kings and queens of our own lives. And then perpetuated by an individualistic culture, that's one of maybe the hardest jumps to make from what we see in the Bible and say we believe to actually enacting when life is normal. It doesn't necessarily feel always like we need one another. Right. And so one, amidst all the hardship that, that people have gone through this last couple of years, it, it does seem like one bit of grace among others is that folks are a little bit more readily willing to admit, I don't have it all together and I do need other people. And whether that was, you know, people bringing groceries or a willingness to rearrange a schedule if someone got sick or, you know, just this longing for for human connection again when when we have that sort of commonly even if it's not as deep as god calls us to be it's harder to recognize our need for that and so it took something like this past couple years to to make more overt our need for human connection because we were separated from it for so long and now that a good amount of people are coming back to to worship in community uh, people can still feel like well i'm here but i feel alone why is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. It seems like, you know, we, we recognize again in the Bible, we see the Christian life is meant to be lived with others. I would go as far as to say it's impossible to live out a lot of Christian discipleship alone. And you see all the one and others and the, you know, support one another and, and love one another and serve one another, even rebuke one another. A lot of the, you know, Paul's letters, a lot of the way that Jesus lives, uh, pushes us and invites us into a close knit community. And so we know we can't do that by ourselves, but it can feel just as isolating 
if the entirety of our community or the main aspect of our community is, you know, attending a Sunday gathering, whether it's a couple dozen or a couple thousand people, if you stand by yourself, sing by yourself, receive by yourself, even if you're surrounded by other people, it feels like you're a drop of water in a, you know, depending on the size of the gathering, a pond or an ocean. And that doesn't necessarily require some of that close relationship. Um, And so it can feel just as isolating to be surrounded by other people as it is if you're truly, you know, kind of by yourself. And that's a weird, a weird reality that folks have even realized as they come back into church. I've heard multiple people say, you know, it feels almost like I'm still at home watching a gathering, watching, watching a, a preacher, perhaps singing. And there's something really beautiful about, you know, singing with other saints and that kind of stuff. So I'm not trying to minimize this, but to answer your question, it can kind of feel just as isolating if we're alone at home or just as isolating if we're just one of, of say, a hundred people. And I think God invites, I know God invites us to something more than that through this deep level of relationship and deep commitment to one another. What does authentic Christian community look like and how do we get there? Yeah, I mean, that's the hard question, isn't it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think we've got to go beyond kind of the cultural understanding of community into something deeper. I think what the Bible calls us to is a degree of which we we are truly a spiritual family together. And the reality is, if you think of a family tree, if you think an actual, you know, biological family tree or something like that, there's increasing, increasingly small pieces of that tree that you know better and better, right? And so I think that there's something that we can glean from this as we think about God's family. And so, you know, if, if God and things of the spirit might be the roots of the family tree and the the soil that the tree's planted in is a, a specific culture, that kind of stuff, then... And the way I like to think about it, the way we talk about it in our own church a lot is kind of the the trunk of the tree is the universal church. It's every Christian everywhere. We, we can know that we have a rich heritage in being related to every Christian everywhere for all of history, but but we know we also can't like be close with them and we can't be in true community with them. Many of them live far away. Hundreds of years of them have passed on. And so it's got to be a, a smaller, more tight-knit community than that. And so just thinking up the tree, you know, the the boughs of the larger branches of the tree might be different veins of the church, like denominations or a church in a city. And then the the twigs, the smaller branches are kind of local churches. And, and it's there that kind of clusters of fruit or clusters of leaves grow. And so there is something really beautiful and poignant about the fact that, you know, Jesus taught the masses, but he walked with 70 or so, spent most of his time, though, with 12 and even three within the 12. This follows sociology. It follows, you know, other other realms of study to say you can have your social spaces and your more intimate spaces and your, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But but really what close Christian community looks like is saying, hey, there's a, a, a few people And statistically, most folks can handle somewhere between five and 15 deep relationships, intimate relationships, that there's a few people who I know well, who know me well, we are not overly impressed with one another, we're we're willing to walk deeply with each other through the highs of life and through the lows of life and see a lot of Christian discipleship happening there. And if I can flesh that out, just one more one more note, I know this is a long answer, but 
But it's in that kind of relationship that we can actually bear one another's burdens on a regular basis. You know, occasionally a whole church can come together and support, you know, someone going in for surgery or raise money or take meals to, to a family with a new baby or that kind of stuff. But to, to really walk consistently with one another, most churches can't ask everyone in their church to walk deeply and consistently with everyone in their church. That'd just be too many people to, to know. It'd be, it'd be an unbearable burden. But largely, if we think of, you know, your own household or maybe your own, you know, extended family, sisters, brothers, parents, I know that's a loaded term for some, but largely you can walk with that number of people, five people, eight people, 15 people or that kind of stuff. And part of Christian discipleship is letting each other bear each other's burdens. Part of Christian discipleship is, is letting each other into your celebrations. And we can do that when we prioritize that smaller group of folks, kind of like, like Jesus did, frankly. What I hear Ben saying is that to experience genuine, authentic community, we need to have fewer relationships for that. As he said, we can only really get close to, you know, a few people. Jesus had the 70 that he sent out. He had the 12 and he poured into them, but he really spent time with the three. Well, think about this. I mean, really think about it. You and I have been created in the image of God. What a dignity God has given us. And there are many things we can say about the image of God, what that is. But one of the things we can definitely say is that the image of God is relational, is communal. I mean, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. God is one God, but he is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in this beautiful relationship of love, which just has been producing extravagant joy from all eternity. And we we have been made in the image of this relational God. And so we need to have, we get to have that kind of relationship with each other on our journey with Jesus, with our brothers and our sisters but sometimes it just doesn't happen. A lot of times it just doesn't happen. We don't experience the joy of the dance of the Trinity. So Ben Connolly is with us today. He is a pastor, author, equipper, and occasional professor at some universities, and he has written a book called A Field Guide for Genuine Community, 25 Days and 101 Ways to Move from Facade to Family. So for a believer, all group sizes can be good. But in order to really get to deep spiritual relationship, we got to get smaller with a group of people. So does that mean necessarily mean a small group program, a cell group program, a, a house church program? Does it mean that? Yeah, that's a good question. And and I think the answer to that, I've gotten to, to walk with a lot of churches through my work with Saturate and now the equipping group over the past couple of years of, of exactly that question. You know, a lot of churches during COVID have wrestled with how do we decentralize discipleship? How do we equip people in ways that we might not have before to one another? Because there's, you know, a hundred or so one another commands. And that's where a lot of the fruit of gospel change, a lot of Christian discipleship gets lived out in those one another commands. And I don't know that the answer is scrapping an old program and and replacing it with a new program. Um, I think that could be an easy way to try to go about it. But honestly, 
it's more of the content and relationships crafted in whatever program our churches are, are carrying out. And so I was talking with one church, for example, that said like, hey, we, we believe this. We think that, that our church doesn't do community well. So next Sunday, we're going to announce we're not doing Sunday school anymore. And we're going to just start small groups meeting in homes. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, like that, that could be if that's what the Spirit's leading you to. You know, I don't have authority in your church. But but this church had done Sunday school for, for decades. And that's what the, the congregation knew. That's what the church family knew. And so I asked him instead, like, what if instead of just scrapping a program and, and replacing it with another program, you looked at programs as the buckets and just said, what's the water that's filling the buckets? And kind of going, could we put in some of this water into the existing bucket so that it's not as much of like a stark, sudden change that could cause some hurt? And so things like if a, if a Sunday school class is always just kind of faced the front and heard a lecture, for example, I know that's not every Sunday school class, but what would it look like to start by just, you know, once a month asking everybody to circle up and just sharing something, even maybe potentially getting to know names. I knew one Sunday school class, they came together, they learned, they left, and they didn't know each other's names. And so that seems like a really small change. But if a class has been meeting together for decades and has never done that, then it's disproportionately rich in just turning and facing one another and learning something about each other. And then if we kind of, to use the water image, if we kind of slowly drip new water into the existing bucket, then the fruit's going to be produced and people will adapt to the change, to the level of depth and that kind of stuff, perhaps more than, you know, suddenly scrapping a program and, and moving to a new program. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is it could be a cell group. It could be a small group. It could be a house church. Yeah. It could be a Sunday school. But what we want to do is reimagine the whole thing and say, how can we make this smaller thing one another-ish? Yes. Yeah. What's the what's the fruit of discipleship that's coming out of this? It is really good. I want to be clear. It is really good to know more about God, right? And so not downplaying teaching. I'm not downplaying the Sunday gathering. There's some really vital elements of Christian discipleship and worship that happen there. But not every aspect of Christian discipleship and worship can happen in that kind of a setting or environment. And so where is it that the leadership of a church, servant leadership team or elders or whatever whatever uh, leadership structure a church has, where is it that the relational fruit, which again is a lot of how the Bible, New Testament especially, talks about Christian growth, where is it that the relational fruit is being carried out? Because frankly, it's really easy to, you know, I'll just quote one of the one another commands that happens to be one of my favorites. One translation says, tolerate one another. <laughs> yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, I may miss the rest, but I think I can do that one at least 80% of the time with people that I know. <laughs> but it's easy to tolerate one another for an hour on a Sunday and perhaps an hour on a Wednesday or a couple hours on a Sunday. It's harder to love one another. It's harder to love our enemies. It's really hard to, quote unquote, rebuke one another, which is something the Bible calls us to. It's not the primary one another command, but it's in there. And it, it takes someone walking closely with me who I've developed a trust for. It doesn't have to be a church leader, because again, these are one another commands. It's what the body is called to do for one another. Use our gifts, use our insights to, to build up the body. But it takes a degree of trust to invite that kind of relationship. And it takes a degree of trust to, to offer that kind of, of comment. And that can't happen everywhere. Well, it occurs to me that in our culture to say, you know, I need you, 
I need you in my life. I have needs. Can you help me? I think that's countercultural, countercultural in America. And it's especially countercultural when it comes to what the Bible teaches that we are a body, that we need each other. We need the lesser parts. We need the bigger parts. We, we need one another on this journey. We can't do it alone. I'm thinking of the person who, you know, they're just shy or they're just, they're afraid of getting too close to people. So they're, they're going to be real uncomfortable with a, with a cell group, Mm -hmm. with a small group of people. What can you say to that person? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that what's, what's interesting is this view of what a church can be has been really freeing to some of my introverted friends because <laughs> um, the the thinking I have to be, you know, pseudo friends with 100 people, that's that's really hard. But to say like, hey, I can go deep with five and that counts, quote unquote, it's really freeing if we think about it like that. At the same time, though, I recognize what you're saying, and and it is a very real thing. Like all of us, everyone has had some relationship that has wounded us. And so this level of community is frankly a risk. And at the same time, like most of the Christian life that we see lived through the scriptures, it it is also a risk. It is countercultural. It goes against our nature to offer ourselves and and not be self-preservationist. That rubs against both our like inward nature and also kind of the culture we see around us. And so I think my, my invitation would be twofold. One is that the same gospel that calls us into community, the fact that we are united by things that cross every barrier and every divide, we're united by the very blood of Christ, that same gospel, the fact that Jesus reigns, the fact that we can approach each other as sisters and brothers, it, it empowers us to boldly just take a first step. And the same gospel also frees us when we feel like all we can take is one tiny little step. And so I think the invitation of the gospel and its empowerment is is the second answer that I would give. And just to say it, it, the gospel empowers us to take one step, to say, this is a risk. I recognize it's a risk. I don't have to do this with everyone. But who's one person in, in your life that you could say, hey, I would love to share something with you or I would love for you to speak into this. And it's one conversation with one person. And it's as simple as taking that first step. And I say simple. I know it's, even that's really hard. But if we really believe that our approval is found in Jesus and we don't need to worry about what they think of us, and if we really believe that that in the cross and resurrection, like we rest in his grace, then it frees us to to at least take one small step. And nobody's going to do it unless somebody does it first. So I think that would be the, the twofold answer is rest in the gospel. And then would you prayerfully, and, and again, wait for the Spirit to lead you. You don't want to get ahead of the Spirit. Would you prayerfully take one step with one person and invite them a little bit closer into your life? So what does life-giving community look like for you? Yeah, um, I think the the most poignant picture of life giving community for me is recognizing that we are able to to walk our kids to school every day. We have young kids; they're in elementary school, and so we walk to the neighborhood public school, and we get to do so with um, a couple that lives down the street that is part of our church family as well. Oh, wow! And it's it's really beautiful. Not everybody has that, so I'm not saying that's how it has to look. But but you asked for me, so I'll answer. It's in little moments like that that we go, "How was the morning?" or how was last night? And both families have shared, like, we had this really beautiful moment with one of our kids this morning, or 
last night my wife and I, you know, had our first ever disagreement in marriage, haha, <laughs> or that kind of stuff. And and it's in those moments we get to encourage each other and celebrate or kind of go like, oh, is there anything you need or, or even pray for each other, that kind of stuff. It's not a formal meeting. It's not a church-sponsored event. It's it's walking our kids to school and getting to do so with others. One other picture I'll share is our church has intentionally pursued multi-generational community. Nice. And it was really beautiful one time to see a, a college student come into our community. My wife and I had had a, a, a young child at the time. And so we kind of, you know, hey, can you can you watch our kids for a minute? And he just wide eyed. I have no idea what I'm doing here. And he, you know, in our community while he was with us, he moved away after college. But we saw him meet a girl. She came to Jesus. They got engaged. They got married. They were with our community for a number of years. And I just have this vivid image of him having a conversation and one of the kids in our community running kind of toward a column that was in the house we meet in. And without even pausing the conversation, he just with a ton of grace and seemingly effortless ability, just kind of reached down in mid conversation and kind of scooped the kid up and pulled the kid in and kept him from hitting the column. And it may seem really silly, but to see his growth from not knowing what to do with kids to the effortless care for children and awareness of them is just a really neat picture that we got to see. He was kind of treating my kid in the same way that like my actual brother would. And so he kind of became a spiritual uncle to our kids. And to see that grow over time was a really beautiful picture. Yeah. It's not that complicated, really. You know, for me, it's sitting across the table with my son last Sunday morning before we went to bigger church gathering and just hearing him share his heart and his his love for Jesus and his desire to know what, you know, real Christian community looks like and and just sitting there at that table and our hearts being bonded in Jesus. That was beautiful community for me. Yeah. If we really see ourselves as a spiritual family, then what you're describing in your nuclear family can be replicated. Right. I can I can have a quick five minute conversation or I can share a longing with a sister or brother in Christ. It doesn't have to become a six week Bible study on it, although it can become a six week Bible study on it. But it can be just a, an encouragement in the moment, an exhortation in the moment. I'm just thinking of other one another commands. It can be a bearing of burden in a moment or pray for one another in that moment. And and we can do that as if we would do with our kids or when our kids come to us and say, hey, dad. You know, which I don't know if your kids have done this, mine have. Hey, Dad, even from their young age, I noticed this thing about you. I want to talk to you about it. It's like, okay, mm. this feels backwards. I'm supposed to be discipling you, but they see something in my life, and I'm unwise if I don't receive that from them sometimes. Definitely have experienced that with my kids. <laughs> and it's because they see you. They Again, we can all put on a good face when we walk into a church gathering, but it's harder to hide when we're around the dinner table and reacting to football scores and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they've been very honest with me in a, in a way that has helped me grow. Yeah, and we get to do that for each other as well. Ben, for me in a large church gathering, I'm intentional about after the service is over, I stay and I'm looking around. God, you know, maybe I need to go for prayer personally. You know, we have a prayer team. I go for prayer and... Or there, there's somebody that I know or, you know, somebody I don't know. I just, I stand and I look and I say, Lord, you know, how can I connect here? And that just helps me within that context to have relationship. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that intentionality. And, and that's honestly one of my prayers for kind of the church and, and multiple churches as we you know, come out of COVID or wrestle with COVID or whatever we're doing with COVID this lovely December. Um, and th- that God wouldn't let us return back to some sort of normal, but rather that, that his people would see this as an invitation to step into something deeper. I occasionally get to be with with churches that are not my own on a Sunday. And what you just described is one of the most telling moments for a church. What happens after the gathering? What happens before the gathering? That's where a lot of that kind of community space, relational space, meeting people space, reconnecting with old friends space, a lot of that can kind of happen to your point, like kind of before and after the service. And also it doesn't always happen before or after a service. And so it is really interesting you know, if I were in your, your church's worship center, sanctuary, whatever you call it, it, it is really telling to see what happens once the benediction is pronounced or once the congregation is dis- dismissed. Do people immediately head for the doors and for the cars? That happens sometimes. Or do people have a really hard time getting out because they long to, to just stick around for a few minutes and, and talk or chat or catch up or give hugs or awkward fist bumps in this cultural moment or that kind of stuff. And it can go both ways. I think this has been fairly common for me for, in my experience. When the, when the service is done, people are out the door, like really fast. Boom, they're gone. <laughs> yeah. Explain this to me. <laughs> Explain why people leave? Yeah. Well, if the preacher went long, it's because they're really hungry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think that in, in, a more, in a more honest sense, there is something really beautiful about kind of those check-in, you might call them loose tie relationships as people that are in our, in our circles, but not in our circle circles. They're not in our, in our close knit community. And, and so it's good and it's right. And it's healthy to, to want to check in every now and then see how everybody's doing. It's good to feel like you have that connection. It is really good to be reminded that we're part of a broader body. But at the same time, one of the arguments that we make in the book is that, you know, God's intention is not just that we settle for community as we often experience it, because community can kind of be culturally defined as a million different things, right? I can, I can be in community with other parents on my kid's soccer team, and that community dissolves at the end of the season. And if we kind of attribute that to, to God's calling— which can happen even in churches, you know, we kind of go like, Oh, I'll be part of this community until the cost benefit ratio tips out of my favor or in this season. And then I enter a new season, I have to find a new community and this kind of stuff. And, and so I say all that to say, like, if, if that is the depth of community in the church, then we're missing something. There's something more beautiful and more rich that God calls his people to God actually calls his people to be a spiritual family together and that kind of relationship, a true familial relationship, that's really hard to conjure up, if I can kind of overstate it like that. It's hard to conjure up if the extent of our touch points are in that foyer after the Sunday gathering, or even you know, if it's a mandated, officialized kind of church one hour a week on a Wednesday or that kind of stuff, where it still feels kind of programmatic. And so I think that's part of why, to your question, why people are, are willing to leave so quickly is because like, hey, it's great to say hi to a couple folks. But while that may be a gateway to deeper community, that can't be the extent of what we call our 
our Christian community. It's got to be something deeper than that. And I think people know that in, innately. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that the large gathering is not the format for deep relationship. And people, whether they think that consciously or subconsciously, that's what they realize, and they're out the door. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, just, you know, to if you were to zoom out and kind of watch what happens during during a Sunday gathering, you know, there's there's greeters at the doors that make you feel welcome. There's perhaps people helping you park. They, it's a very hospitable, very welcoming kind of environment. But then a lot of what happens during a traditional, if I can use that term, kind of a traditional Sunday flow is if anybody's getting to know someone better, which is a hallmark of community, not the only one, but a hallmark of community, then largely it's a, a gathered people getting to know a a preacher better because he's the one who's speaking sure. or in some yeah. in some context she's the one who's speaking and so you, everybody else is getting to know that person better but it's less it's less two-way um it's more one-way communication that kind of stuff and so a community is being formed theologically together and again there's richness in taking communion there's richness in singing songs there's things that happen in the sunday gathering that can be invitations to deeper community and kind of be a gateway into more of a familiar relationship. But it's, it's, it's really hard in the common flow of a Sunday service that most folks, most listeners, I would imagine, kind of experience to, to really foster that depth of relationships. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 